God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. We just heard the most uplifting passages in all of Scripture. All of it. Didn't those just inspire you, move you, make you want to go outside and uh, something? Well, I was driving down 183 this past week, which I tend to do uh, more often than I'd like to admit. Now, how many of us have driven down 183? Well, I, every, this particular day, I had to go, go out and do some work. And every time I got on 183 that day, you know, they have dotted lines that signify a lane. Right? That signify a lane. Well, for some reason, on that particular day... Multiple people wanted my lane and their lane. And they kind of straddled the line. So have you heard that old saying, stay in your lane? Well, I found myself saying that to myself and smiling because I try to practice compassion as I gently honk the horn. (laughs) Gently honk the horn. A lot. To try to encourage them to either take my lane and I'll take theirs or stay in their lane and I'll stay in mine. And you know what? It worked for the most part. Except for one person. I just don't know what was going on. So I just slowed down. My whole point in that is, as you look at these readings today, really underneath them, for me, and as I think about some of the church fathers who, who commentated on this passage... It's that whole idea of staying in your lane. That a lot of times as people of God, we like to stay in God's lane. Or we like to jump into God's lane. Or kind of dabble, dabble just a little bit in God's lane. And not stay in our own. So Jesus is gathered here. This is the Sermon on the Mount. We've been living in this sermon for several Sundays now. And we're picking up right where we left off last Sunday. And just to give you some context gathered around Jesus or or some of the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, but the the bulk of the population are folks that have traveled a great distance. These are not people high up on the social ladder. Most of these people probably are folks who are wondering where their next meal is going to come from. They're very poor. They're coming from, as as the uh, the end of chapter 4 tells us, they're coming from Syria. They're coming from the Decapolis. They're coming from Jerusalem. They're coming from parts of Judea. They're coming from places across the Jordan. So this is an eclectic group of people that have come to gather to listen to Jesus who probably don't represent the elite of society. And yet they've come to listen to Jesus. And Jesus delivers this part of the sermon. Now remember, in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, we started with Matthew's Beatitudes and Jesus stating those Beatitudes that start with, blessed are you, and goes down the line. And in this part, Jesus tackles what seemingly is about relationship. Four big, big topics that all involve how we relate to one another. And Jesus, doing what Jesus does in Matthew's gospel, stays planted in the law, but then offers a new interpretation, a new way of understanding uh, what's going on here. Now, I think when you look at this passage, if we, if we do what's, what's very common And just pull out a piece and say, focus on divorce. Then we kind of miss the point of this in the larger narrative context. 
Or if we pull out the passage about murder, which in the Greek's really killing, just like it is in the Old Testament, the Hebrew is really killing, not murder. Then we take it out of context. So part of what I was wrestling with today is, is or, or this week as I was preparing for this, is how much we like to live as Christians, sometimes, how much we like to pull into God's lane. We like to pretend that we are righteous, that we have all the answers, that though we know, we know who's wrong. We know it, and we're sure to tell them that they're wrong. And we tell them by not hanging out with them, not talking to them. Or we just tell them flat to their face. Now, how many of us in this room like to be right? (laughs) Come on, raise your hands. Right? I tell Vanessa, my wife, that I'm right all the time. You know how far that gets me? Gets me right outside, and we don't even have a doghouse, so I'll let you figure that out. It's kind of cold out there. The reality is we all like to be right. We all like to think we have the right answers. And in addition to that, how many of us like black and white? Just like everything to be black and white. Make perfect sense. Right? When we play sports, as I did, I played soccer, or if we play games, rarely do we, we only worry about the rules so that we know how far we can get at a competitive advantage. There are very few referees that look at players on a field and say, thank you for following the rules. Here's a green card for you. They're there because we as humans like to stretch We like to push the envelope. We like to hold it over somebody and think we got a little advantage. And by doing something that we know we're not supposed to do. This is exactly where Jesus is meeting us. Right in our muck. And as I look out on Christianity today, and I said this last week and I'll say it again. I see so much division in our midst. I see so many groups of people And we're all professing Christianity. And I don't mean just in denominations. I mean it's groups of people who are Christ followers who literally can't be in the same room with each other because we just despise each other. Each one of us, each group thinks that they have the power on God's law over the other group. They think they're righteous and they're unrighteous. And the whole point is missed in the fractures that exist. And this is further amplified in our world today, and we know it. I mean, I said this last week, and I'll say it again. How many of us, when we were going to Thanksgiving or Christmas with family, had to remember the things you couldn't talk about because of how polarized we are? If we talk about this, then Aunt Lydia is going to leave the room. And how sad is that, that that's the world in which we live, that that very behavior has impacted the church. And the reality is, this was the case in the Corinthians, uh, in Corinth. This is what Paul's talking about. There, the groups are aligning themselves around certain leaders. And what's ironic about this is both leaders are the ones who came to testify to Jesus to help encourage them to build unity and build community. And what do they do instead? They pull themselves apart. And one group says, we're with Apollos. And the other group says, they're with Paul. And the irony is, Paul and Apollos are best friends who actually get along, yet these two factions don't. It is so easy 
for us as a people of God to break relationships. When Jesus, just take one of these examples in our gospel today. Let's talk about killing or murder. If you notice how quickly Jesus moves from murder to anger. And if we have angst against somebody or we have, there's something that's causing us not to be reconciled with our brother or sister when we come to the altar. He encourages us to, to work on that, to move beyond that. Because ultimately, as you probably know, anger will eat you up. I remember a long time ago, I, I was uh, really struggling with some friendships. Uh, right after college, I was in seminary, and I was just trying to find out life and figure this all out. I was working, uh, I was also in between in this time, I was working at SunTrust Bank for a minute. And some of my friends and I just got crosswise with each other. And, and it was uh, over what was probably petty stuff. But I remember I got so angry. And I remember how angry I was, and I refused to talk to them, and I think they were mad at me, and they didn't talk to me. But I don't know, because I was so caught up in my own anger, that I don't know what was going on with them. And you know what's funny about that is as angry as I got, as angry as I got, do you think they knew? No, they were going about their lives having a good time because we shared some friends. But I told myself, I've got to stay angry at them because the angrier I get, the more they're going to know what they did. And they're wrong and I'm right. They never figured it out. No matter how much I willed anger upon them, it never happened. Because ultimately, as Jesus is alluding to, that anger just eats us up. That underneath anger is reconciliation. The release of anger is reconciliation. The ability to go to them. So one day, I won't take credit for this, it was them. They were happy as could be, and they came to visit with me. And we had the most frank, honest conversation that we should have had months prior. And my anger subsided. And it was clear by the end of that how wrong all of us were, how selfish all of us were in the midst of what led, which was something so petty that led to this division in our friendship. And all it took was the recognition from all of us that we had messed up. And that our relationship to each other was more important than being right. Because after all, the irony of that whole thing, and maybe you've been there before, is we all were a little wrong. It seems to me that the more humility we can find as a people of God around really trusting our relationship with God and that if we work on that and we work on our relationships with each other, that something powerful will happen for the sake of the kingdom. That to be a kingdom builder, to be a disciple is not to go up to people and say to them, you're wrong and I'm right. It is to go up to them and say, that I love Jesus and I mess up from time to time and God's love exceeds that. It's really that simple. If we just stay in our lane, our lane, this is so hard for us to do, our lane, and our lane is all about our relationship with each other and with God, reconciling those relationships in our lives that are broken 
really realizing if we are angry at somebody that that anger is not affecting them, it's affecting you, and releasing that, then we move to a more wholesome place. We move to a more real place. We step beyond ourselves to that bigger conversation that is God's kingdom and being a contributor to building that kingdom here and now. There is a world out there that needs to know the love of God. Not in a black and white, you do this and God does this. They just need to see a group of people who are a little bit messy, who strive for the betterment of the kingdom, who strive to love each other, who strive to love God, and who let God's love into their lives and let their light shine before others. That's what people need to see. There's plenty of judgment. There's plenty of division. There's plenty of anger. There's plenty of resentment. There's plenty of all of that. But there's not, and could be more, of just simple love, real relationships, real hard work, building bridges, drawing people together, Let's just think about that. Let's imagine how we do that as a church for the sake of the kingdom. What do we want people to see here when they come to St. Luke's? Is this supposed to be the same homogenous group, just another group of people who fractured themselves off, that all agree, that are all like-minded? Or is this an eclectic group of people who strive for the sake of the kingdom to build real relationships with those they agree with and with those they disagree with, who seek the deeper purpose of God's love in our lives. What do we want that to look like? What do we want our young, young people to be a part of? I think it's real. And I think Jesus expects that today in, our ser- in the Sermon on the Mount. Drawing us beyond being Pharisees who spend their whole lives deciding who's righteous and who's unrighteous into relationships, radical, love-filled, inspiring relationships with each other and with God. And let God do what God's going to do. Let's just testify to that radical love. Amen. Please stand and join me in the Nicene Creed, found on page 9 of your bulletin. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God. Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. 
On the third day he rose again, in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us now pray for the whole state of Christ's church and the world. Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. Grant that every member of the Church may truly and humbly serve you. We pray for Michael, our presiding bishop, and Andy, Jeff, Hector, and Kay, our bishops and all bishops, priests, and deacons. We pray for Donald, our president, Greg, our governor, and for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. 